Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast. My name is Danny Revitt and I'm the joint head of Erwin Mitchell's Real Estate Disputes team. And I'll be hosting our latest podcast where we discuss topical subjects of interest to people in both their personal lives and in the business world. This week, we're turning our attention to the world of commercial property and more specifically to the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the letting of commercial properties, whether that's in the office, retail or industrial sectors. Commercial landlord and tenant issues aren't just of interest to the businesses which invest in or occupy properties. For example, many of our pension funds are invested in commercial properties which rely on rental income to prosper. Alternatively, if our own employers can't afford to pay the rent on the property where we work, then our jobs are at risk if the landlord decides to end the tenancy. To discuss these issues further, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Lisa Stratford, a fellow lawyer in our real estate disputes team with many years of experience in dealing with landlord and tenant issues, and our special guest, Dan Bailey, a senior director based in the London office of BNP Paribas Real Estate, who is head of tenant representation and has over 25 years of experience of advising businesses on their office requirements. So before we get stuck into today's topic, let's put the obligatory life in lockdown questions to Lisa and Dan. Starting with Lisa, Lisa, what have you enjoyed most about lockdown? Well, it turns out that I'm not as sociable as I once was. Um, I've quite enjoyed embracing my inner hermit. It's been quite nice to have a little bit more time to potter around the garden and the house getting the jobs done rather than rushing around. Uh, so maybe actually the thing that I've enjoyed most is that the world collectively seems to have slowed down a little bit. Has work slowed down? Mm, not at all, actually. Not at all. Good news. <laughs> uh, Dan, what have you enjoyed most about lockdown? Well, Danny, certainly the early stages of lockdown. I very much enjoyed the, the variance of my morning commute. I left home at the same time every morning and instead of bombing down through uh, the Holloway Road to uh, the grimy centre of the city of London. I was going on a nice cycle ride up through Hampstead Heath and round to home and then getting on with some work. But you know what? The second best thing I've enjoyed in the latter stages of lockdown? Getting back to the office. I better whisper because my wife might hear. <laughs> OK, I better answer the question myself as well. Um, I think it's the fact that you can eat whenever you like. It's just you're not relying on just going to a vending machine and eating crisps all day. Now you can just go to the kitchen and, and, and eat what you like, drink what you like, whenever you like. So uh, I just need to get some exercise done now. Um, OK, let's let's uh, get on to the, the, the serious bits now. Um, so let's start with Lisa, if that's all right, Lisa. Um, let's look at it, shall we, from a tenant's angle first. Imagine you are a, a retailer with a shop on what would be a usually busy high street and then Suddenly in March this year, the effect of the government's COVID restrictions meant that you had to stop trading and effectively had no income for three months or so until maybe you reopened in the last few weeks. Um, you might have just about managed to, you know, to pull together enough rent to pay the rent due in March, and then you just simply, with no income, haven't had the cash to pay the June rent. Landlords now getting a bit anxious. What are your options? Um, well, simply not paying the rent is one option, I suppose. I don't think it's the best one. Um, I think it's really important at the moment that, that tenants take the time and make the effort to get in touch with landlords as soon as they can, if they're going to struggle to pay their rent, notwithstanding that the landlord's remedies might be limited, which I'm sure we'll come on to. 
but I think it's important that parties start speaking to each other as soon as as soon as possible. We've definitely had a lot of instructions from tenants who have said, can you contact our landlord on our behalf? And can we put some kind of deferral or waiver into in, in place? Um, for example, I did one recently where the tenant was able to pay half the March and June quarter rents. And the, the other halves of those rents were going to be paid over the following over, uh, over a 12-month period starting next year. Um, we've seen different kinds of rent concessions throughout, I think. Uh, have you seen landlords being very generous and just waiving the rent? Is that is that possible? I haven't seen many landlords completely waiving it. I think in practice, whether they pursue it later on is a different question. But I haven't seen that many landlords completely waiving it. Some, but not all. And OK, if, so if you're a landlord who isn't particularly willing to be generous to the tenants and have reasons, rightly or wrongly, that you want that rent paid in full, there's been quite a lot of publicity about restrictions that have been put on landlords during the uh, the, the, the lockdown period. Um, so how, how is this affecting landlords? What can the landlords well, do? Well, landlords are tied quite a lot at the moment. Actually, there aren't that many remedies that they can use in practice at present, I think. Um, the, some of the biggest problems have been the fact that landlords aren't allowed to forfeit to get their premises back. Now, whether they'd want to or not is a different issue, given how the market might stand at the moment. But they can't forfeit. They can't use um, commercial rent raise recovery, which is the the old distress to those people that, that still know about it, where you send a bailiff around to take possession of goods in order to cover their, their the outstanding rent payments. Effectively, the only real option that you have at the moment is to bring a money claim for the rent. And whilst that's potentially going to get you a judgment, it's not necessarily going to be quick with everything being as it is at the courts. So courts are suffering huge backlogs. They still have the same problems as everybody else in terms of staffing and capacity. Um, and ultimately, it doesn't necessarily get you payment if your tenant's unable to pay either. Traditionally, landlords have, have also been able to threaten to issue winding up proceedings and put a, tenant, a company tenants into liquidation, and that's been restricted as well, hasn't it? It has been restricted by the um, Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act, I believe it's called, or CIGAR for short. Um, it's been massively, that's a huge change in insolvency practice that's probably out with the scope of this podcast, um, just because of the, the extent of the changes that have been brought in. But it does essentially prevent landlords from from threatening to wind up corporate tenants for non-payment of rent for the time being. So these restrictions are in the moment, Lisa, do you, do you think they're going to carry on and on? Is there going to be a time when uh, when landlords are, are, are let loose to uh, get stuck into the tenants if they want to? Um, I think that the current restrictions might continue for a while. They were originally only brought in for the period of sort of March to June. They were then extended again to take us up to September. Even if these current restrictions aren't extended beyond September, I think that there's still going to be a bit of a, a bit of a problem in the market because tenants will still have a, a effectively a three-month hole in their accounts where they've not necessarily been able to have any income whatsoever, and they're not they're not going to be able to recover that immediately, even if everyone is back shopping and at work and living some kind of normal life. Okay, this this all seems very tenant friendly at the moment. You and I act for plenty of landlords as well as acting for tenants. And I think we've probably both heard lots of complaints from landlords that they're being forgotten about, they're being sort of taken for granted. There's an assumption that every landlord is a big bad corporation. Um, and I think as, as as you and I know, 
there are plenty of landlords that are simply someone's pension fund or a small investment that they've spent on a couple of little shops or a couple, little, couple of offices. Um, so is it, is it all a bit too tenant friendly? What about the poor old landlords? Um, I think I think it is quite tenant friendly. It's very biased at the minute. And like you say, not all landlords own great swathes of land across the country. Um, they're not all corporate entities. Lots of people these days invest in property at an individual level. Um, so we're talking about people who, for example, invested in a property that they can rent out to give them an income in lieu of a pension. And those people, if they've, especially if they have borrowings on that property, so they've got a mortgage on there, are potentially going to be left in some trouble by the current restrictions, whereby they can't get any income out of their, their sitting tenants. But equally, there's not an awful lot they can do about it, and they still have borrowing that they have to service. Um, I was recently instructed by a client who is semi-retired, but owns a small number of commercial premises, including a, a recently opened hotel. And they've been told by one of their commercial tenants, who's actually was someone that was able to continue trading throughout the entire period of lockdown to some extent, um, that tenant has just written to our client saying that they won't be paying their rent. There's very little that our client can actually do about that, despite their understandable feelings that that tenant that's a national organisation that's been able to trade throughout lockdown has just decided that it's not going to pay its rent, whether it can or not. And you, I don't know if you're coming on to this, but there's a code of practice that's come in recently in relation to commercial property. And that was brought in during the period of lockdown. And although landlord remedies may be limited, there's it does state in that code that where tenants can pay their rent, they should do, and that parties should work together. So the restrictions are really not very helpful to landlords. The code is slightly, but the code is also a voluntary code. And I think that's probably the only landlord-friendly measure that's contained within it. Yes, Lisa, you, you had actually stolen my next question, but that's fine. And that um, actually leads us nicely on to Dan. Um, Dan, out there in the uh, office world, are you finding that landlords and tenants are applying this code of conduct? Are they all being very friendly with each other and doing deals or are they that daggers drawn with each other? Well, Danny, it's a good question. I think the reality is, certainly in my experience and the negotiations I've been having over the past few months and with colleagues, I don't think the code of practice has really been that material to it. It's actually been the practicalities around the, the stance uh, and the financial position of the different parties. And as, as you mentioned at the start, Danny, my focus is in the world of offices, which therefore isn't impacted by the government legislation around retail premises. But the number of clients that I've had who've rung up uh, and uh, to paraphrase some of them, they've sort of said, well, rent's voluntary now, isn't it, during this COVID process? Uh, and it, what's extraordinary, that, that has varied from at one end of the scale, possibly quite understandably, a client of mine who's a sort of owner business, uh, they're in uh, the rag trade, they have a, a small office in London and they have some industrial property and he has lots of friends in retail. Um, and so he's been having a relatively tough time. Uh, and so he's a bit frustrated that he uh, he's still having to pay all his rents, although actually because he's been able to evidence that he's got cash flow challenges, his landlord of his office space has been quite amenable and has helped with cash flow positions. Whereas his landlord of his industrial premises, 
has been very hard nosed uh, because if you haven't read the, the trade press around industrial, industrial has been having its best ever time because of not just Amazon, but lots of other um, online uh, retailers have been st uh, needing space to stock up. So if you can't pay your rent in your warehouse, uh, the landlords are often thinking, well, fine, we'll forfeit the lease, I'll get a higher rent. Um, and I guess my final little anecdote on this question was one of my clients rang me up the other day and he's sort of head of real estate at a multinational corporation. And he's had his finance director on his case saying, well, we're not having a very good quarter three. Uh, so let's talk to our landlords about paying less rent. And they are an amazingly strong covenant, uh, a household brand. Uh, but it's, you know, the, it, the, the breadth of occupiers who are having these questions and challenges is, is significant. Thank you. We'll we'll talk more about offices in 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 a, in a moment, Dan, which obviously is your your speciality. Obviously, people talk about retail a lot at the moment. The, you know, the retail uh, world was struggling anyway, um, and we've all been in lockdown. We've all been buying things online, as you've alluded to, as the uh, you know, the Amazon phenomenon continuing. What do you see happening with retail space moving forward? You know, even from your angle. The retail space is going to become offices. Are they become, going to become leisure? Is it going to make a comeback? Well, I mean, I think uh, as a man who deals in offices, I always felt not exactly smug, but sympathetic towards my colleagues in retail. I now feel doubly sympathetic because I now know what it's like to have an existential threat to one's asset class. Um, I think what it's likely to do in a strange way is possibly... Uh, enable uh, conversion of, of buildings that are no longer fit for purpose in certain locations more readily. Because if you've had defunct retail uh, sitting underneath OK office space, you've often had that, that retail just sort of sitting there vacant, boarded up or on short term lets. If you now get the situation where you have defunct retail, you have defunct office space, that does present the opportunity for uh, change of use, whether to residential, hotel, other asset classes. So that's, I guess, my silver lining uh, from the, ch the challenge that we now have on offices as well as retail. But I think the, the, the answer, Danny, is, of course, whilst people were talking about some retail could be converted to offices, we're not going to need lots of more office space in the next two or three years. So uh, that's, that's a potential remedy that's gone out of the window. So that leads us very nicely, really, into the, the question that I'm sure you're being asked constantly. Um, I suppose all, all, all three of us have been working from home primarily over the last um, few months. Uh, Lisa and I are still you know, working at our respective homes 100% uh, with a you know, possible return to the office in the next, next few months, but very, very gradual. Um, how do you see the office of the future? Are we now going to be all splitting our time, you know, half the time at home, half the time in the office because it hasn't worked out too badly? Is the space going to change completely? We're all interested. Well, uh, I think the, the obvious answer is it's going to be very different for everyone. Um, and what I can say is from personal experience of having got back into the office, which I'm doing one or two days a week, um, it's very empty. It's probably 10 or 15% occupied our office. And it feels a bit like arriving as the first guest at a drinks party where you've got some nice drinks, you've got some nice canapes, 
but there's something missing. It's other people, it's atmosphere. What do you go to a drinks party for? It's to chat to people as well as to have the facilities that are on offer at a drinks party. And I think almost that, that experience that I've had so far reminds me, and people have obviously been talking about it, that you're going to, you always go to an office for collaboration uh, and for and for a change of scene, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, clearly the office is not dead, but I think if we look, if I took a straw poll of the organizations that I've spoken to or colleagues of mine have spoken to, I'd say that the sort of like for like footprint expectation for most organizations is probably a reduction of 20 to 30 percent, which in what another way of looking at it, it is an additional day to day and a half a week at home compared to what people might have been doing before, which sounds logical. So I think that's my bet. But we still we have got one or two tech clients, um, smaller ones who are saying, look, we don't think we need an office anymore. Uh, but interestingly, those people were saying that back in May uh, and back in May, all the calls that I was having uh, with with clients and colleagues was, yeah, this working from home is a great lark. The last month or so, I've been delighted to hear lots of people grumbling and getting fed up about working from home. And this is in the summer. Imagine what, what another six months of working from home is going to be like in the depths of winter. Get back to the office, I say. Lisa, you seem to be nodding in agreement. I was I was nodding at that comment about in in May everybody wanted to say everybody said that they didn't need to go back to the office and I think even though I generally am a bit of a hermit now and love being at home there is definitely something to be said for being able to go to the office and see your colleagues every so often and you know we've got the technology we've been we've got teams and everything else that everybody's been using for video conferences and they're amazing they really are but it's not quite the same is it and I think it it does get a little bit wearing after a while just being in the same four walls with without anybody actually I was going to say with the same people but without any people at all it can get a little bit lonely. Absolutely uh, I mean another interesting practical question I guess I guess Dan is uh, the trend obviously over the last 10, 15, 20 years has been towards open plan moving away from the separate offices suddenly we're all supposed to be social distancing for quite a long time and might be preparing to you know do what we can to avoid uh, the next pandemic that may or may not come are we going to have a return to having offices with doors that we shut and keep people away from us um danny i don't think there'll be a dramatic trend that way apart from possibly in your world of of legal services where certainly as you pointed out there's been a move towards open plan and i think some of the the law firms who may have been on the cusp of uh, going from cellular to, to open plan might not do that. Interestingly, the challenge that I, you know, I have got some clients at the moment, luckily, who have got lease events coming up and are planning to move either because the building's no longer fit for purpose or it's the wrong size, wrong location. Um, and on the one hand, there's an expectation there'll be some attractive deals out there, and I know there will be. Uh, but on the other hand, what's really difficult is uh, them visualizing with help from interior architects and their own uh, workplace people as to what a good post-covid office should look like uh, and i think that's that is the great unanswerable question uh, but i think going back to the, the point that i made earlier about why do you why do you go into the office and in more why will you go into the office in the future because if the office is voluntary 
it needs to be really good. Uh, and for it to be really good, it needs to be able to foster a better place to do quiet work or technical work than you have at home or a good alternative to that. But particularly when you're having meetings or um, you're in an environment like mine where clients pay me for really market knowledge as well as technical expertise. And I pick up my market knowledge because I'm talking to my colleagues who are involved in the markets with which I'm familiar. You need to have that right environment. So in my world, putting me in, in a private box shut away from my colleagues, I'm going to be far worse at my job because I'm not going to be picking up that market intel. So my honest view is that the layouts won't be dramatically different. I think some of those organisations who have really squeezed uh, their staff very close to each other on smaller desks, I think that's something that, that occupiers will need to look at. And I think the proportion of a typical office uh, that is laid out for meetings, quiet space, etc., will increase. And the proportion that sort of vanilla working open plan workstations will reduce. Thank you. And then uh, probably to, to sort of close up a general um, sort of market question, Dan, if you don't mind. Um, let's say Lisa had a large amount of money burning a hole in her pocket, uh, not making much at the building society, and she wants to invest in some property and, uh, and uh, you know, finally join the, uh, the world of the property mogul. Where would you be telling Lisa to put her money? Golly, good question. Um, well, I think if you look at um, the, uh, if you, if, if you, let's say you were looking to put it into the REIT sector or something like that, or, you know, the, the, the London office REITs have, have they had their value come off. I think their values come off a hell of a lot. They've gone back to uh, a discount to net asset value. So that might be good value. But actually, I think in the long term, you know, the really good logistics players, whether it's, you know, Seagrow or if you've got enough money there, Lisa, buying yourself a good shed, possibly let to Amazon, that's probably going to do all right. Uh, and I think the other thing that is bound to need a significant overhaul and is an area of business that we're focusing on now is the world of care homes, because, uh, you know, the, you know, that's become politicised to a degree uh, through the COVID crisis. But even before that, the lack of uh, care home facilities is something that was fairly evident and certainly one of the more exciting sectors in the world of, uh, of commercial or of commercially related investment property, institutional property. That sound good, Lisa? Um, it sounds great. Do you know something I don't? Am I getting this giant pot of money to go and buy myself a second property? <laughs> um, I think it does sound really good. And I think that the, the care home comment was obviously very topical at the moment, but I think retirement living generally at the minute is one of those sectors where it's seeing quite a big boost and it doesn't necessarily just mean care homes. It starts earlier than that and people require more facilities than that and more um, autonomy than necessarily they would get in a care home. And I think that is a really interesting sector to watch. Well, that's probably a good time to bring matters to a close. So I'd just like to thank Dan and Lisa for sharing their thoughts with us and to thank everyone out there for listening to the Over Mitchell podcast. We hope you found this interesting and that you'll join us next time. Thank you. Thank you.